Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Today is Thursday, November 3rd. We are just five days away from the midterm election. Will it be a red wave? Will it be a red tsunami? Will it be a black swan? Joining me, as always, on Thursdays, the producer extraordinaire, Jen, uh, uh, Dwayne Generalissimo Patterson, I can spit this out, of the universe, master of the universe, H-U-G-H-N-I-B-E-R-S-E.com, the troll-free web surfing experience that Hugh Hewitt fans and listeners should be part of. I'm there every week, really, um, as uh, you know, uh, as Dwayne's guest on the after show. We were there last night and uh, talking about some of the same stuff, right? I mean, right now, the the big stories, the big story to me are the the, the three biggest stories to me are midterms, Elon Musk's um, actions at Twitter, and this DHS um, uh, disinformation policing that the intercept exposed those to me are the three which which is scandalous yes absolutely um so yeah you uh, it's it, it's your show coach you tell me which direction you want to go first and we'll go there well let's let's hit the dhs one just a little bit because we we okay. did talk about the midterms a bit last night there's been some developments this morning too we want to get to those as well and of course there's gonna be developments all day long as more more and more polls dropped but let's talk a little bit about this DHS story, because I, I actually have an interview with John Schindler that's going to come up right after you. I recorded it um, uh, yesterday, and it will come up right after you. And we talk about it quite a bit. So we don't need to delve into it too much. But I mean, this is a blockbuster. I mean, you've got the Department of Homeland Security partnering with FBI uh, to incentivize and pressure uh, private sector social media platforms into removing information in, in blocking debate and discussion of political matters um going this into is, the election this is now you know the left in uh had no problem you know the, the the house democrats impeached donald trump twice for i mean just bs bs grounds i mean there's lots to not like about donald trump and there was plenty of things they could have actually tried to impeach him on but uh, the, you know, they tried two things to impeach him on that were just utter nonsense. This is actually something that's impeachable. If Donald Trump would have done some, a, a stunt like this, not only would the House have impeached him over it and, and gleefully impeached him over it, but the vote in the Senate would have actually been closer. Now, I don't think it would have actually removed him from office in the Senate, but in the Senate, you would have actually had Republicans voting to impeach him over a stunt like this. And those votes would have included people other than Mitt Romney. Yep. Because, so. because this is, this is, this is really underhanded stuff. This is really, this is really, uh, you know, high crimes and misdemeanor stuff. When you are using the, the, the federal branch of the government to basically squash dissent and squash speech in this country, it's, it's really, it's really seedy. What, what is being uncovered here. And, and we talked to Jim Banks today, by the way. Jim Banks is the chair of the Republican Study Group. Uh, in all likelihood, once the wave subsides and the uh, newly constituted House GOP majority uh, comes up with their leadership, more than likely, there's a 85% chance that Jim Banks is gonna be the House whip. Um, yep. He suggested that there's going to be hearings on this. They are going. They are going to get to the bottom of this because this this stinks to high heaven. Yeah, this is, I think, flat out in America. If you want to talk about fascism, there's all this time. Joe Biden last night was sort of dancing around the the whole idea of 
you know, MAGA extremists being fascist. This is actual fascism. This, this is, is actual fascism. Government is... combining with private industry to limit uh, speech and to and to um, and to suppress dissent. That's actual fascism. That's it, it, government it is industry partnership is, text, is textbook, de textbook textbook definition. I don't care if there's even woke ideology in the textbook. It's still textbook definition of fascism. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I mean, it, and the rest of the media is still sleeping on this. I mean, do you did you read the oh, uh, they're not? Oh, they're not sleeping on it. They know all about this story. They are intentionally not reporting it. Well, it, I mean, it, it's, it's not sleep, sleeping indicates that they're just unaware of it. They're right. aware of the story. They're aware of it. Yeah. You did read, though, the, the long analysis of this at the New York Times and, and the other one at the Washington Post. Right. And the, sure. and the and the and the long broadcast segment on CNN discussing all of these details. Right. You you read those and, and watched those. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They're they're, no. they're everywhere. Right. Yeah, no, neither did anybody else because it right. doesn't exist because it didn't exist. They are covering yes. the story. They are covering this story with a pillow uh, until it stops moving. That's the uh, correct Iowa Hawk blog. Um, you know, David Burge definition of how you how media covers a, a story that's bad for Democrats. This is the absolute last story they want at the exact wrong time. Uh, they may rediscover the story if you know it's it's a 50 seat uh turnover in you know you know six seats in the senate if it's if it's a complete massacre and the bloodletting begins on the left and joe biden is is a lame duck and everybody starts clamoring for his head and, and they hand him the lyndon johnson speech uh if all of that happens then media all of a sudden what what's that mr president you 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 don't want to commit to just being a one-termer and, and you're not going to run again. Well, that's when you'll see the story come out. Yeah. Yeah. When 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 they've decided that Biden is a a dead letter, basically, is when that is when that story is going to come out. However, right. That brings us to last night's speech, right? Which was I'm still not sure what the hell they were trying to do. What what he thought he was trying to do, I guess, was rally the base. Um but this is this was a who watched it honestly who watched that speech it was from my understanding it was on it was on fox it was on cnn it was on msnbc right yeah. who watches msnbc in prime time historically um just the extreme left and not more people more people listen to Hugh's show the show i produce more people listen to that in a half hour than watch MSNBC in prime time. How many people on CNN watched it? Even less. Yeah. And Fox Fox was running it so that they, so that they could use you know they they could um, pinball off of it basically. Absolutely. So basically basically fisking off it almost in real time and using right. it using it for show prep. Um, so I, I I again I don't know who his targeted audience was and what the White House comms team thought they were going to get get out of it. It was a it was a reset to 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 get the point across without leaving the bad taste like like from last one that like this was something they had to cross off their list. Um, it it did nothing. I, again, I last night we talked about this and. Um, Somebody had a scorecard of all the key buzzwords, you know, inflation, gas prices, food, uh, crime, uh, immigration, you know, border. How many, uh, how many times were all these things brought up in his address to the nation last night? Zero. Nothing. I mean, crickets. 
all he cared about was my democracy. And, uh, you know, they can try to, to go with this strategy, but, you know, that's like a football team that only knows one play, an off-tackle run play. And that's seriously the only play they know how to run. And after a couple of times, the defense has pretty much figured out how to, how to seal that hole. And they're not moving the ball anywhere, but that's the only play they know how to run. So they just keep doing it and, and, and you know, losing two yards every time they, they hike the ball. It's yeah. But you know, I mean, I mean, I get that. Okay. So they're incompetent. So they're, they're idiots. And I, I kind of get that, but I mean, even an incompetent had to look at that and say, look, we've got one more shot at trying to get uh, you know, trying to, trying to at least address the, the concerns that voters are still expressing to try to take the edge off of this thing. Then the only way they can do that is to yank that speech out of Biden's hands and let Barack Obama give that speech. That's, 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 that's the only way that, yeah, that but Barack Obama, be- Barack Obama was not going to get a primetime slot and he wasn't going to get live coverage on, on three networks. That's a president. That's a presidential level of coverage. Barack Obama doesn't. Then, 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 then I'm reminded of the old, uh, of the line from *Chariots of Fire* that you you can't put in what God left out. Joe Biden cannot. He does not have the capacity. That's not true. To, I mean, he, I mean, all it he takes can't deliver that letter. speech. He can't deliver that speech. But at least you could try, right? I and mean, this is the this is the part that that just absolutely floors me about the about what happened in last night's speech, which was that it was the same speech that he gave um, in uh, in late August. Watered and down without watered without down. The, without the heart and passion in it because they were worried of him, you know, coming across looking like Hitler's uncle, like like this. Yeah. I mean, you know, the screen grabs like this in front of that, you know, dark, you know, black and red, um, uh, that black and red, you know, Reichstagish look behind him. That was Independence Hall, but it didn't look like Independence Hall because they lit it up with red lights in the middle of the night and not very strong red lights. Right. Uh, and if and, you look and at, put, you look and put two Marines and to put and to put uh, put two Marines in there to, right. to, to to do the stand in for, you know, the, you know, the SS. Right. But it, I mean, it, it, it if you look at the wider picture, if you looked at a wider picture of that, it was actually, you know, uh, red, white and blue. But the red was right behind <laughs> Biden for this. I mean, it's just awful optics. Right. These guys are idiots. Um, and so, I mean, an idiots explains a lot about this. Um, but I mean, this is the same strategy they used in August. What happened after that speech in August? If you believe the pollsters, and I'm not sure that we should believe the pollsters here, but if you believe the pollsters, it resulted in an immediate reaction of voters thundering over to the GOP. I he, mean, he lost, a- he lost what, five, five, six points in, in approval rating uh, and, and the congressional GOP map moved move significantly or noticeably to to the republicans it was yeah, a disaster it, it was a disaster and apparently they're just never going to admit it was a disaster they doubled down on disaster rather than say look we got one more shot at this let's try a different approach because <laughs> it clearly didn't work the last time around what was, um, what was the bruno kirby line in in uh, good morning vietnam after he finally after he got uh, yanked off even my heart i know i'm funny <laughs> yes, deep in my heart, I know I'm funny. That'll be all, Lieutenant. Yeah, Lieutenant Steve. 
Oh, Lieutenant Steve. He's Lieutenant Steve. Joe Biden is Lieutenant Steve. Unfortunately, so is this entire his entire political team in the West Wing. They're all just just incompetent boobs. I mean, totally incompetent. All right. So that brings us, of course, and this is going to be really the main topic of today's podcast, because it's the last one that you and I are going to do before the midterms, which is the midterms um, and the scope of the coming route. And, you know, you've been more optimistic than I have, right? We talked I'm, about that I'm, I'm, t- I'm team optimist. I just am. <laughs> He's team red wave. He's team red tsunami. I'm team red wave. He's team red tsunami. However, I will tell you that there's a little bit more evidence for your point of view coming out from Gallup. And I think this was yesterday, right? Which is the key indicators and seat losses for US representatives for president party in recent midterm election years. Now they actually roll this stuff back. They, you know, because Gallup does a series of, you know, longitudinal polling. Um, so they're pretty reliable in terms of trend lines and stuff like that. I mean, you, you compare Gallup to Gallup and you get a pretty good idea of what's going on. Sure. All right. So <laughs> remember the 2010 midterms? Uh, I do remember the 2000 midterms. Okay. Uh, 2010 so, midterms. That was the Obamacare reaction, uh, the Tea Party, the Tea Party wave, and that resulted in 63 House three. seats. Yeah, 60, yeah, that loss of 63 House seats. All right. So Gallup's approval rating for Barack Obama going into that midterm, the final one, I would imagine, uh, was uh, yeah. F- uh, these are for final pre-election measures, usually October and November. Um, was 45% approval rating, 21% congressional rating, a 22% level of US satisfaction, and a minus 31 perception rating for economic conditions, right? It was pretty, it was a pretty harsh cycle for, for Democrats. They lost 63 seats. Would you like to hear what the econ- would you like to hear what the indicators look like right now? Lay it on me. Joe Biden. 40% presidential approval, five points lower than Barack Obama in that cycle. Congressional approval is the same, 21%. U.S. satisfaction, 17%. So it's about five points off from even the, the what really, I mean, it's actually at its lowest point ever in this cycle, 17%. Economic conditions are at its worst point ever in this uh, in this polling series, minus 35%. Uh, percent. Um, this, I, I'll give you another comparison. Here's George W. Bush in the 2006 midterms, which were a disaster for Republicans, right? Yes. This is post-Katrina. Remember, this is the year after Katrina. It's the it's just prior to announcing the surge, right, in Iraq. So everything was going wrong for George Bush in this election. Plus, you had a scandal, right? You had the Mark Foley scandal going on. Um, George Bush's approval rating, 38%. Congressional approval rating, 26%. U.S. satisfaction level, 35%, more than twice as much, well, about twice as twice as uh, good as it is right now. And economic conditions were plus 22 rather than minus 35. So literally, um, what would that be? Um, 57 points better. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that, right? Um, 57, yeah, 57 points better. Republicans lost 30 House seats <laughs> in that cycle. Um, so with that in mind, first off, I mean, that's just delicious anyway. Let's go to Harry Anton, who actually does a really good job at CNN of digging into what all this means, right? 
Harry Anton on CNN, um, Steve Kornack on NBC. Yep. These are guys that look at the data and they know the networks they work on, and they know and they know the audience that they're that they're uh, you know reporting to. But they have a hard time looking at that data and and whistling past a graveyard and just doing happy talk. They're the guys that say, "Look, guys, I know you want to think this, but do you see this number." This is not a good number. <laughs> that's that's what Harry Anton does. Right. So what Harry Anton says, looking at the long history here, the you know, modern of these modern indicators, 40 years or so probably, the midterms were more Americans are more dissatisfied than satisfied with the direction of the country. The party that held the White House has lost an average of 33 seats. That jumps to 46 seats in a president's first midterm. Um, if we look at seat totals instead, the party holding the White House ends up with 186 seats on average. When Americans are, when more Americans are dissatisfied than satisfied, um, that would be a 35 seat loss for Democrats, right? Mm -hmm. um, all right. Add to that this, Dwayne. Uh, in first midterms, where Congress's approval rating was south of 25 percent, uh, there's three of them: 1994, 2010, and 2018. All saw losses of at least 40 seats for the president's party, which also controlled Congress at those times. It's currently at 21%. Now add to that, <laughs> Dwayne, and here's where I think you're, you're, I might need to tie you down to the chair just to keep you, you know, from launching into the stratosphere. Um, the most important factor to understand why Republicans have momentum is the, president, is the president's approval rating. His approval in Gallup's poll stood at 40%, which is the second worst for an incumbent president in a midterm since 1974. Um, it's the worst for a first-term incumbent. Biden's disapproval rating was 56% in the survey. No first-term president whose approval rating was below his disapproval rating in a midterm since 1974 has seen his party end up with more than 200 seats in the House. Well, you see, if, if they're under 200 seats in the House from where they're at now and the Republicans pick up the balance, that's a lot of seats. Well, that's you're a looking lot at a floor of 235, right? And probably yeah. higher than that. I mean, he's predicting 186 seats, right? And they currently have 219. So that'd be a 33 seat flip. Well, yeah. Yeah. You see, I'm I, I'm even more bullish which, than that. Which, which you would put, again, if they're at 186, I mean, you can do the math, you know, subtract 186 from 435 and you end up with, uh, what, 249? <laughs> right. Um, you see, here's... Sean Trendy had, a, and I, we may have talked about this before. Sean Trendy had a had a piece dealing with all the redistricting and why uh, both sides in gerrymandering have made it so that in a fairly neutral election, meaning um, D plus two, R plus two in a generic congressional map, not that many seats are actually in play because of the way they stack the deck. But by stacking the deck in the middle so that there's not a lot of movement one way or the other in a static or neutral environment, there are troughs when you get outside of that bell curve on both sides. Um, when you get to R plus three, a chunk more seats become in play, meaning in, in an R plus three generic map, that means D plus two seats are now in play that may not have been in play otherwise in a, in a more neutral, sent, you know, straight up toss, em, uh, toss up election. Right. 
the last four or five polls, and this is one of the pieces I wrote it uh, in the VIP section earlier this week. You know that that congressional generic map is spreading closer to five in in, in the last four or five. If you get up to five by the time we get to election day and the actual map or the actual race looks like the Republicans win nationwide by five, there is a trough there where you don't just jump, you know, five seats more available or 10, 15 seats more available for every point that Republicans are on that generic congressional map. You right. go from four to five and it jumps from you know, 15, 20 seats available to like 35, 40, 45 seats available. There is a big trough between four and five. You you get the GOP plus five. That means every seat that is a D plus four seat now becomes in play. And then obviously some other ones too that are wild cards, but those D plus four seats are in strong jeopardy. And all of a sudden you are in a map where you can get 35, 40, 40, 42, 43 seats. And it's just a massacre. Again, if you want to look at a historical performance, because of how narrow the margin is for Democrats right now and, and the base from which the Republicans start with, if they add a net of 31 seats, which, again, is not outside the realm of possibility from anybody's standpoint now, but if, if you add 31 seats, that's the largest working majority a Republican Congress will have had in the last century. And yeah. we're talking about north of that. It's that big of a blowout. Yeah, which brings us to the Senate, right? I mean, um, and we're looking at new polling here from New Hampshire. There's now two polls that show Don Bolduc up. St. Anselm yesterday came out, showed uh, showed Bolduc up one. Well, St. Anselm, uh, I think, was uh, Tuesday. There was another one that came well, out. Okay, it was, well, it was this week. St. Anselm was, was, was yesterday. The... Uh, the other one was, um, ba, 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 ba. who was the other one? We're all going to Real Clear Politics right now, and you should as well. RealClearPolitics.com. They do a great job. Trafalgar. Trafalgar is the other one. And uh, so that's two polls in a row in 48 hours, and Trafalgar's got him up one. And again, both of those, um, both of those uh, showed... Uh, even even their last poll a month ago, uh, Maggie Hassan had a three four point lead. You know, outer edge of margin of error, yep. and uh, and and so all of a sudden that that shows movement. Or do we know if any specific one is is absolutely accurate? Who the hell knows? But again, they're both moving towards Bulldog to the point where real clear politics on their Senate map. If you throw the the toss ups. Whichever way they're leaning, even if it's by a tenth of a point, if you have to, if you have to split them and, and go the way that they're leaning, uh, real clear politics now has New Hampshire going in uh, in the red column. So they they think that the way the poll seems to be going now, Bulldog has is 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 in the driver's seat uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, a hold, but but a hold nonetheless. We heard media try to say all this, including even on Fox News, try to say this week, oh, the, uh, all our data, all the polling, that the, the, the debate, the, the, the awful debate John Fetterman had, had nothing to do with the polling. Absolute no impact on the polling at all. What unmitigated, complete, unadulterated BS. Right. Um, two different polls in Pennsylvania, both 
comparables to similar polls taken pre-debate and post-debate. Um, pre-debate, two different polls had Fetterman up by three or four, depending on the poll you're asking. Uh, post-debate, Oz is now up one. That's a four or five point swing pre-debate to post-debate in one poll. Nothing really else on the ground has, has changed much. Insider Advantage uh, also has Oz at plus three. Actually, so, just, uh, yeah. Did that one just come out today too? I think that one actually came out over the weekend. That may have, yeah, that may have, that may have, uh, that may have been out uh, late last week or over the weekend. That's true. Yeah. But, uh, but that one's looking, on Friday. Or, to me, it wrapped up on Thursday. That one looks more and more like uh, that's going to be a hold as well. Um, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin's got a five-point lead. There's, you know, he's not going to lose that. The the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, poll, the, the you know the paper of record in in Georgia, right? Their final poll in the race has uh, Herschel Walker up one over Raphael Warnock. And why I'm very heartened about that is that the AJC has never in their history guessed accurately or, or, or reported a poll accurately on what the Republican percent uh, vote would be. They have always under polled and under guessed what the Republicans would vote. Now, they yep. may have gotten the margin relatively close and they may have predicted the winner, but if they've got if they if the AJC has Walker up by one point, Walker's up by four is what I'm saying. They they always yeah. undercount the Republicans in their polling. So, and if you look at the RCP aggregation on this, you'll see that Walker is suddenly surging to a lead in in several different polls, with the exception of the New York Times Siena poll, which you know we about which we've written in in the past, which is um, which is a crap sandwich, right? Um, and holds a, uh, right now holding a 1.5 point um, uh, lead in the RCP tracking, which actually they say pollsters tend to underestimate Democrat, just slightly underestimate Democrat turnout in Georgia. So it's actually a 0 0.2 adjustment backwards from from a 1.7, um, excuse me, 1.3. It, they adjusted two tenths of a percent back to a 1.3 point lead for um, or 1.3 percent lead for um, Herschel Walker. Um, but again, I think that in in I think that in Georgia, uh, as in in New Hampshire, I think the issue is how many people are going to split tickets between Brian Kemp at the top of the ticket and Chris Sununu in New Hampshire and Republican Senate can, uh, candidates. I don't think you're good. I think in the end you're going to see people more or less sticking with the more or less sticking with the gubernatorial ticket, especially because they're very unhappy about the status quo. I mean, you take a look at that Gallup result, right? And I think you have to look at all of this. And this is the reason why I think the Gallup thing is important. I didn't even mention this, but I don't think pollsters are factoring in the properly factoring in the political environment. In fact, I might go back. And no, they're not. And, 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 and that I, Gallup poll is showing what the political environment actually is. And they're not modeling to that. And that's no. the reason why I think a lot of these races are are at least somewhat different than what the act, even the good polling is probably not picking up on the overall gestalt, if you will, yeah. of this midterm I, cycle. I have been saying this everywhere I can for the last month, a uh, couple of months. 
it, it's conventional wisdom for people to want to throw the bums out. And if you're a political party or a candidate in, in one of the two major parties, you face absolute impending electoral doom if you do one of the three things in a, in a campaign cycle. One of the three legs of the stool and you're dead meat. You either F with somebody individually, you F with their livelihood, or you F with their kids. If you do one of the three, and you're it doesn't you don't even have to have done it if you are perceived by the majority of the electorate to have screwed with with somebody on an individual basis like you know gun rights or taking say, taking some right away or, or 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 messing with them or doing something that affects uh, their job you know they lose a job because of something you did that's right um, or you do something that affects their kids may God have mercy on your soul because the voters aren't going to be with you. The Democrats have done it all three legs of this, uh, of this, uh, of this stool in this cycle. They have messed with all three of the cardinal sins. And I'm sorry, we have never seen that it, in your and my adult lifetime. We have never seen a, a, an electoral predicate shaping up where no. one political party has taken up a, a, a chainsaw to all three legs in that wooden stool, they're going to get creamed. And I'm sorry, yep. the polling is not picking that up. Nope, I don't think it is either. Um, now, you mentioned the governor's races last night. I kind of pushed that off because I haven't really paid a lot of attention to governor's races so in terms of overall trending, right? I mean, obviously, I'm looking at Ron DeSantis, who's going to blow out Charlie Crist in Florida. I'm looking at that's uh, a whole. I, 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 right. I, the, the, I don't see any technical losses that we're going to have. Uh, Pennsylvania is not even a loss. Remember, that's a Democrat uh, right now that Shapiro's right. replacing Tom Wolf, right? I agree. Yes, that's right. So, so that's you know, they, it would be nice if we could challenge for that if we would have had a better candidate. But you know, it is what it is. That's not a loss. That's just a kind of a missed opportunity. But Florida is a hold. Um, here is see my and, and I'll write this up for hot air. But but I'm basically kind of a power of five uh, thinking right now in governor races. I see Nevada. Flipping. Uh, um, it's yep. and it's not even really close. Uh, yeah, that, that's, Joe, that's clearly going in that direction, right? Sheriff I mean, Joe Lombardo is going to beat Governor uh, Sizzlack, and he's going to beat him like a bongo drum. That's that's really that's really not in much doubt. Um, that's actually not even as in much doubt as Adam Laxalt is, is for Senate, and Adam Laxalt's up by four or five points depending on the poll. So you got one pickup in Nevada. Uh, the polling looks now like Laura Kelly is going to go down in Kansas, and that would be a really good thing. Um, uh, she's she's in real trouble there. I talked to John Campbell, who's actually in Kansas right now, and he says the feeling on the ground now and the way it's looking here is Laura Kelly's going down. She'll be a one-termer and, and gone. So that's going to flip. Michigan. Uh, Tudor Dixon's up over Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen Whitmer is not very popular right now. And no. I, I think that's going to be another flip too. So that's three pickups. In Wisconsin, uh, Tony Evers is down one point as an incumbent. He's sitting at about 44, 43%. Um, and, uh, and Tim Michaels has got a one point edge in him going into four days, uh, you know, four days to go, five days to go. Again, 
the, the, the metric here for Senate races and for governor races and even, even long-term uh, House seats is if you're the incumbent and you're under 50% in job approval and if you're under 50% in polling and you're within margin of error, all those, all those undecideds, they're not going to break your way. They're just no. not. You're, you're no. in real, you're in real, real trouble. Um, and that's what's, that's what's shaping up with uh, Tony Evers in Wisconsin. He's, he's well under 50 and he's, he's chasing his uh, Republican by a point, hoping that, you know, the, the late breakers will, will come home his direction. And there's, there's no reason that he's been able to give them to do that. Um, so Wisconsin, I see, is, is a fourth pickup. And then you got New Mexico. Mark Rinchetti is the same thing. Over Michelle Lujan Grisham, he's got a, in two or three polls, he's got a one, two point lead over Grisham. She's well under 50%. And again, even in a blue state like New Mexico, they don't like the crime so much. They don't like the open border so much. They don't like the fentanyl coming in so much. And That's Mark right. Ranchetti is beating her over the head with this stuff. Plus, she's perceived to be a little crooked. And it's just a toxic combination. And I think you've got a fifth there. That's fine. And Republicans already, what, have 30 out of 50 states? Something like that. I mean, they, they've, got a, they've got a large share of, of, of governorships already. They're going to gain at least five, and that's in a that's in a decent red wave. If yep. we're talking if we're talking tsunami, then we could even talk about Lee Zeldin in New York. I don't know if he can climb that deal or not. You know, the, the polling there is just wild. One day you'll have uh, Lee Zeldin up by eight tenths of a point, and the next poll has Hochul up by thirteen. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I mean, I, New York being New York, right? I mean, I think if Lee Zeldin wins that race. You're not talking red wave. You're not even talking red tsunami. You're talking red, you know, sweet meteor of red death, like we you, said last you, night. You are talking, you are talking, you know, Noah and the red ark with the red giraffe sticking their necks out the window, right? Yeah. You're you're right. talking, you know, you know, biblical flood here. Um, <laughs> Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um and then if so, that would be six if if it's if it's biblical proportions. And if that flips, right, then then, you know, the great white whale um, that that is out there is Minnesota, because that's closer than it should be. I, 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 don't think I the want I want to believe I'm not there yet, but I'm saying if New York flips and all these other seats are flipping, Tim Waltz is not over 50 in, 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 in Minnesota. He's not, but uh, you know, um, that's not as close. I think the race to look at there that Republicans are going to win is the attorney general race. Where, where, uh, Keith Ellison, Keith Ellison is, is down by seven. He's down by seven. A couple of polls. Yeah. Very unpopular. And if, I don't know and, how he got elected in the first place, frankly, I don't know how he got elected in the first place because he's not if, popular uh, statewide either. But if he's down seven and show me how Tim Waltz is real popular again, I, I, oh, I, I, I'm just, I'm Ellison, just saying. Ellison's crazy, a different cat, man. He's a I completely different cat. I understand. But in this environment, in this wave, crazier things have happened. I, it I, has. I, I don't have it in my, in my main five. My five right now are Nevada, Kansas, Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and New Mexico. Those are the five that are going to flip. 
outside right. edge, maybe New York. And I mean, if we're talking about the wheels totally coming off the wagon, sure, why not? Let's go for Minnesota too. In the Senate, I've got another five that we're going to get. And everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I got five. I got Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, New Hampshire. And the polling backs me up on all of them. The, the, the weakest one of, of, the, of the four there, I'm sorry, the, weak, uh, the weakest of those four are Arizona, where Blake Masters is tied in every poll. He's come all the way back to tied with four days to go. And again, same thing. If you're Mark Kelly and you're under 50, which he is, and he's been under 50 pretty consistently. Yeah. And he can't, he's going to count on the undecideds to just all of a sudden magically go his way because he's working on no. inflation. No. Uh, At least he's talking about inflation. Joe Biden can't even do that. But the late breakers are not going to go to Mark Kelly. They're going to go to Blake Masters. He's going to he's going to win this thing by two two and a half points. Yeah. Again, same thing. Environment. Gallup. The Gallup. The Gallup is, is the first pollster who's actually shown what this political environment looks like. And I'm I'd even say might even be underestimating just a just a touch. But at least they're showing the, the a, a more accurate parameter. Um, Katie Hobbs is such a god awful candidate. She, I, I think yeah. she is probably the single worst candidate uh, of the of the cycle. We we've talked about this before. She is so yeah. bad at this that you know Carrie Lake's going to win in a walk. She's going to win going away, and if she yep. wins going away, there's going to be some coattails. Uh, maybe not as you know, maybe not as strong, but. But I, I'm just, I'm very confident Blake Masters is going to pull that off. So that's four. My fifth, in the same rule applies. The same under 50 thing applies. Washington State, I know the polling, you can't, yeah, it, it's damn near impossible to poll a state where it's mail-in balloting and all sorts yeah. of craziness can go on there. I, I totally understand that. Patty Murray can't get above 43 in, in, as an incumbent. She's stuck at 43 and, 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 and nothing that they have been able to throw out in, in campaign ads has moved her off of that. She's at 43. She's got a one point lead and all the undecideds are sitting there like, who should, should we go with Patty Murray one more time? I get all this. I get all the negativity. This is Washington state. Trust me. I live there. I've got relatives there. It's never going to flip. The machine's too big. You can't beat it. I, I, I hear all that. She's still stuck at 43. And, and, and the last two, Trafalgar, and there's there, I think there was one other one. She's within one. If she's within one, two points in, in, uh, in, in Washington in a wave year. Yeah. I, I, I've, I, I count that. I count that a lot more than I count Colorado. Colorado is my, that's my, that's my, we're talking, you know, biblical, you know, cats and dogs. Noah's Ark. That's the Noah's Ark. That's the Noah's Ark. Measure. That's, that's I, my as Noah's as I like Ark. O'Day, as much as I like O'Day. I just, I, I don't, he's, he's going to get close. He'll get, yeah. he'll get within two or three, but I, I don't think he can close a deal unless of course it's just, you know, everybody is off and, and, you know, take, take whatever poll number and add five to the Republicans. It's that right. kind of a year. Right. Um, so, so I got five governors, I got five senators, and my house, uh, my house seat, 
if you take five times five, that's 25. I got uh, I got a final number of 250. I think it's going to be a net 38. All right. So my my over under is 245. So, I think yeah, it, we're not far off. We're not far off there. I think 52 in the Senate um, because I'm not at all um, uh, optimistic about the state of Washington, not like you have been, um, very entertainingly so. Um, so final question before we wrap this up, because we're, we're getting to the end of this thing here. Sure. Um, let's say it's a, a big red wave, right? Yeah. A 2010 red wave or a 2014 red wave. What happens with Joe Biden? Because you're already starting to see the New York Times signal, oh, hey, this guy is fumbling on the on the campaign trail. I mean, and we talked about this last night too. Do, the Hill leaked something, I think it was on Monday, um, that uh, Joe and Jill were meeting with their political advisors to start planning out the 2024 um, re-election campaign. Uh, if they if if the, if the shellacking is as big as as the Gallup um numbers tend to indicate uh does the media turn on joe biden finally at this point in time and start reporting honestly they, they don't turn on him immediately who turns on them are the pot are, are the are the party leadership what's left of them the party yeah. leadership what's left of them will walk into it he he will come back from uh rehoboth beach he'll come back from delaware um after his you know 83rd vacation and he will see the lyndon johnson speech sitting on his desk to to uh to give and they will basically say you're not running again we we can we cannot survive as a political party with a netter shellacking if you stumble your way through this you beat trump god bless you you did your job they're not going to push him out early. They're just going to say, you're going to announce this is your one term and you're going to go right off into the sunset and, you know, let the primary process begin. And we're going to try and young it down because we've got to rebuild. You can't do it. And if he doesn't go, you know, that's, that's when you'll see what happens next because Joe's either going to say, well, Okay, and he's going to give the speech, and he's going to be all mopey about it, and he's going to he's going to try and say, you know, you know, my health is is he'll make up whatever excuse, and he's going to get out, or he's going to get feisty, and he's going to say, "F you, I'm not nobody else with a Biden. Uh, I'm 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 going to beat all you suckers," and he's going to get indignant. That's when the leaks from the party elites are going to go to media. And that's when the media will turn on Joe and they will bleed him out. Yep. Yep. That's that's how I see it playing out. I, I see it playing out pretty similarly. Um, I, I think that the I, I think that the whole we were planning the 2024 campaign leak was a, a last ditch effort to try to claim that Joe Biden isn't the millstone around the necks of the Democrats that uh, the polls and analysts uh, are saying that he is, but he clearly is. I mean, he's clearly a millstone. And if the midterms come back in any way, shape, or form, the way that this thing's shaping up to be, <laughs> it's You're not done. good. Yeah, he I mean, will be he will be the lamest of lame ducks. Yep, yep. Especially if Republicans take both uh, both chambers of Congress. Yes. Um, nothing that he does is going to get through at this point in time. And he's either going to have to start working with Republicans or he's going to be sitting, uh, he's going to be sitting by himself an awful lot. 
And um, I suspect and, it's going to be more the latter. And and about about four um, uh, what's that? Milla Milli uh, who's who's the, who's the Scaramucci's. Uh, Scaramucci's, yes. 4.5 4. Scaramucci's after uh, Joe Biden gives his I'm not going to run again speech. Joe Manchin's going to announce he's not going to run again. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's done. I, I think Manchin's done. Manchin doesn't, Manchin's got nowhere to go anyway. I mean, he's 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 screwed the pooch. Manchin has. So, yeah. all right, Dwayne, we got to wrap this up. What's coming up on tomorrow's Hugh Hewitt show? Well, Dr. Larry Arn will be on like he normally is. Um, we will have, do we have a candidate tomorrow? Let me see if we do have a candidate tomorrow. We have um, Tom Cotton will be along. Sonny Bunch will be along. Uh, Tarzana Joe will be along. Larry Arn will be along. All sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, Tom Cotton's had a pretty remarkable week, actually. He's, uh, and it's going to get better because um, before this thing goes up, your VIP column is going to go up today about Tom yeah. Cotton. Two yep. o'clock this afternoon, Eastern time, will go up. Tom, uh, Tom Cotton, the case for and against Tom Cotton. And again, another, another one like the, the Pompeo one I did, kind of a tough one for me to write to, to be objective about it because right. Cotton right. and Pompeo, they're, they're friends. They're not just, they're not just uh, affiliated with the show. I mean, you know, I'm on first name basis with them and, and we, we brag on each other off air and on air. I mean, it's, he's, he's, he's a buddy. So, um, it, it was hard to try to write the negatives on 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 cotton because in my head you know with, with pompeo and cotton there's not a lot of negatives but i had to kind of put myself in a place where what's he going to get dinged on so I, I i did my best to be political switzerland well there you go the vip column from Dwayne generally samuel patterson going up this afternoon at 2 p.m probably well before the podcast goes up. So you will have already seen that. Go back and check it out. Join our VIP program. There's going to be a message at the end of this podcast about that. Coming up next, John Schindler on that DHS, Disinformation Policing Program, which he says, and coming from John Schindler, this says something, is actually evidence of a deep state type of um, uh, impulse, at least, in the Biden administration. You want to stay tuned for that. And we'll be back with more. Don't forget to tune in to the Hugh Hewitt Show, 6 a.m. in the Eastern Time Zone, 5 a.m. in God's Time Zone, 3 a.m. on the left coast. If you're a member of the universe, you can watch it live. Dwayne, if people have to tune in on the AM radio dial, what should they do if they can't find it on the AM radio dial? Easiest thing in the world. You threaten the GM of a station where we should be on, and you threaten that you're going to bring Joe Biden with you. <laughs> It's either that or we're going to force you to carry Joe Biden's next speech live yes. and then play it on rotation for the next week. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that's that, 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 I'm going to go with that one, Dwayne. That's, that's, that's an excellent one. All right. <laughs> Dwayne Jolie Smo Patterson, thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you. And then at, on the other side of the midterms, uh, he's got 250 and what is it, 54 or 55? I got, I got double nickels. I got, I got, right. I got five. Um, 250 and 55. Believe uh, me, believe me, I'll settle for four, but I don't think it's going to be under four. I think it's going to be. There you go. All right. Okay. 250, 55. I've got 245, 52. And uh, by the time we come back around to this, we'll see which one of us was right. All right. Dwayne, thanks for being with us. And stay tuned now for John Schindler. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I'm really excited to talk to my next guest, John Schindler, uh, an Intel expert 
uh, a, a, a frequent political commentator and uh, somebody whose opinion not necessarily always runs in the same direction as mine, but I always respect what he's got to say because it's always really well-founded and always really well-developed. Uh, and in this particular case, he and I are completely aligned on this DHS disinformation policing issue that was raised by The Intercepts, Ken Klippenstein and Lee Fang, uh, did a fabulous job in uh, corroborating this story and, and getting the briefing documents behind this and explaining, I think, John, the, the ramifications of this. I think that they've done an excellent job, so excellent, in fact, that apparently mainstream media doesn't want to cover it at all. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, it's so good. We can't talk about it. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not a habitual de defender of the intercept, which tends to be, right. you know, Supposedly left wing and quite anti-government, anti-intelligence community, which which obviously I'm not. I mean, I work for the right. intelligence community, but you know, look, I, I I don't see anyone coming out and saying that the Klippenstein Fang report is factually wrong because really, how can it be? It's based on U.S. government documents, the words of U.S. government officials. Um, it's obviously true. We can debate how they might be spinning it, but the facts. I mean, the documents literally speak for themselves. And I right. think this is part of why the mainstream media is, you know, avoiding it because there's not much they can say to really shoot it down. Uh, and this is a really, really important issue, and it's something obviously I've been involved with a long time. It is a little complicated. It's not ideal for sound bites, but this really is for civil liberties and who we are as Americans. And I guess I'm old enough to think that's something we should all care about, no matter what party you belong to, no matter what your political views are. Free speech, non-interference with that free speech is an absolutely core American value, or so I thought. Well, look, I mean, I, I think so too, right? I mean, I, I, I think that this is, and, and you made a um, really interesting point, and it's one that I actually do agree with um, and, and tend to uh, push back against when it's brought up, which is that you're not a big believer in the term the deep state. Neither am I. What I'm, in, what I'm a, uh, a deep believer in is unaccountable bureaucracies uh, being left to their own devices, which is really what we've had in the United States for decades. Uh, I don't consider it a deep state because I think a deep state is really references a, a completely different kind of picture. However, this yeah. is actually not that far off from it, as you also said. So I think you and I are in complete agreement here too. Normally, I think it's a, a unnecessarily hyperbolic um, description of the swamp, basically, is what it is. Right. Um, right. This is different. This is this is actually a lot different. Yeah, because it's quite specific. Uh, the talking about the deep state gives the sort of amorphous idea of unaccountable bureaucrats conspiring. And let me tell you, the truth is, our intelligence community is seventeen different agencies. Some of them very massive, which hate each other, have huge disputes among themselves. No, really, I mean, I mean, they don't play well together. It's right. it's it's hard to have a vast conspiracy among them. What this story shows is how unaccountable bureaucrats and political appointees can really set up situations where they're at the cost of very seriously abusing federal power, using, you know, colluding with big tech for partisan advantage. And I gotta tell you, I mean, I'm not that old, but you know, I've been involved with US government with countering disinformation for, for decades. And until the Biden folks, this stuff just didn't come in the room. I mean, you know, you keep your crazy ideas elsewhere, some lawyer in the room is gonna say, what are you talking about? It is not ever, the mission of any agency of the United States government to tell Americans what they can and can't say and what they can and cannot believe. 
The U.S. government in its current incarnation has one office at the State Department, the Global Engagement Center, whose job is countering foreign, please note, foreign disinformation. I don't right. think the GEC, as they call it, the, is as forward-leaning as they could be, but they're very clear. You know, when the Russians make up some bizarre story that, you know, it, the classic case was, you know, AIDS was invented by, by the U.S. military. They'll come out and say, no, this is not true. This is why it's not true. This is where the lie comes from. You know, parentheses, don't pay attention to this. But they can't even say that because if you're an American and you want to pay attention to that, you're free to pay attention to that. Going past that and any suggestion of telling Americans what they can and should think and read and feel is, it's mind boggling. I don't know where this comes from. It's, it's nuts, frankly. It's absolutely nuts. Well, I think it comes from the idea that, um, first off, they think it comes from the idea that social media and for that matter, regular media are public goods rather than private enterprise and, and, and uh, rather than private um, you know, association, you know, assemblies. And therefore, they have the state has an interest in what transpires in them, which is a completely antithetical uh, notion to speech, to commerce, um, and and to and certainly to politics in the right. United States. And it's not the first time we've seen something like this, right? Because a, no. about a century ago, during uh, World War One, uh, they had, and I can never get this right, if it was the um, Sedition Act in 1917 or if it was the Alien and Sedition Act in 1917. Yes. And, yep. and on top of which, the Espionage Act of 1917, which gave it real enforcement. Right. And, you know, President Wilson really did use this to stamp out civil liberties in a way that virtually everyone now agrees was just awful. I mean, look, the U.S. government shouldn't be touching propaganda. Even during World War II, when, you know, total war, declared war, President Roosevelt set up the Office of War Information to disseminate U.S. propaganda, both at home and abroad. And even then, that was controversial. There were Americans who, even in total war, were a little uncomfortable with the notion of the U.S. government telling Americans what they should believe. Certainly in peacetime, and there's no declared war going on that I've noticed, in peacetime, the U.S. government has no business being near any of this, period, full stop, no matter who is in charge. And my Democratic friends somehow don't get precedent. And if, if they're happy with Department of Homeland Security getting in bed with Twitter and Facebook, uh, you know, to, to determine what can and cannot be said on social media. If they like it when Biden's doing it, I, I hope they like it when, you know, I don't know, President Matt Getz is in charge somewhere down the road, because that's what they're beginning. And they, they, they never seem to think this through, and I don't understand why. Well, they're not the only ones not thinking this through. I mean, you your Washington Examiner column, which was great, by the way, put it up Thank in the headlines. We'll, we'll probably quote it at least two or three more times over the course of the next few days, um, because it's just that good. And you should go to WashingtonExaminer.com and take a look at this. And it's uh, Homeland Security Betrayed Its Constitutional Obligations is the uh, rough title. I don't have it right in front of me at the moment. But you talk about the fact that journalists aren't speaking out about this. And these are the same journalists that have been, you know, hyperventilating and fulminating about the, you know, on the, you know, the onrushing tide of fascism um from you know uh from the right yes and you know frankly i i think that that's a, a load of nonsense um but certainly anybody's free to believe that but this is literally and actually definitionally factual fascism you've got government forcing a a partnership with private industry to suppress um points of view and political debate and not just points of view on some sort of you know war effort which we're not in which joe biden keeps telling us we're not in 
but on a whole wide range of issues, right? I mean, if you look at this DHS document, and Lee Fang, I think, was the one who's pointing this out on, on Twitter. You know, they're talking about uh, you know, policing discussions of racial justice, yes. of, of, you know, of the COVID-19 vaccines, of climate change. I mean, this is, this is, this is big brotherism and it's definitionally fascist. I, I don't, I don't need to put a label on it. Honestly, what I will tell you is I'm very tired from elite media journalists pontificating for years and years about democracy dies in darkness and <laughs> coming and here we have an agency of the U.S. government toying with stuff that is really scary from any civil liberties perspective, or should be, no matter what your partisan views are. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, I mean, one of the, the you know the, the list of things DHS was interested in include racial justice, which I you know that's a purely domestic issue. No, right. it's completely off limits. Even some of the foreign issues, where one of the issues was you know, uh, you know talking about the Ukraine war. Look, it's fine if. The U.S. government wants to debunk Russian lies about the Ukraine war. Right. That's fine. That's I agree. That we should be doing that. I want us to be doing that. I do not want DHS, a domestic agency and a law enforcement agency. These people are cops, fundamentally, going to Twitter and Facebook to police what Americans are saying about the Ukraine war. That's nuts. I'm sorry. And I don't know what federal bureaucrat thought this was a good idea. You know, we always used to joke in my time in government about the Washington Post front page test, right? You know, how would what we're talking about right here, even in a secret meeting, how would this sound if this got leaked and wound up on the front page of the Washington Post? Because if it sounds bad, maybe we shouldn't be talking. I'm serious. I mean, what, I, what, I, I know it's, it's funny because it's, it's very clearly true. That's what yeah. makes it funny. I mean, you had DHS bureaucrats talking about giving taxpayer money to private third-party entities, NGOs, basically, to disseminate Biden administration propaganda deniably so it didn't look like Biden administration propaganda. Yeah. First of all, I don't want us doing that even if it's foreign stuff, okay? If, if the U.S. government wants to denounce something as disinformation because it comes from Beijing or Tehran or Mount Moscow, do that. Do it yourself. Talking about doing domestically, it's just insane. I don't know what's gotten into these people. I mean, I if I'd been in that meeting, I would have said, we need to stop talking about this right now. This is not legal. I've actually had that happen during my government career where people, you know, the lawyers would say, we're not going to be doing X, Y, and Z. Please stop talking about it. This is not a road the government's going to go down. So just drop it. Where were the adults in the room during these discussions to use, you know, the favorite liberal mantra that the, the adults are, are back in charge? Really? Where were they at DHS during all this? I really want to know. This is why we need congressional investigations. It's not that these things necessarily happen happened yet who thought they were a good idea to contemplate happening i mean this is this is just makes no sense to me at all it really doesn't it really doesn't well apparently it is happening because facebook some of it is definitely yeah built a portal for it yeah i mean and, and that's part of the ken klippenstein lee fang report at the intercept right. which i agree with you you know <laughs> which, which is what makes it so so much more compelling and i don't want to denigrate the intercept because they have done some really good work over at the yeah. uh, over the intercept but you know, that's the same outfit that bungled, um, you know, reality winners, um, you know, uh, identity uh, when they, they were have a pretty consistent or, record of, of their sources going to federal prison. So don't no, don't leak to the intercept. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I right, mean, that was that was not that was not one of their one of their best episodes. But um, but I mean, 
you know, I, I've respected some, I've respected quite a bit of the work that they've done, even if I've disagreed with the, you know, with, with the political thrust that they want to make of it. Um, this is a legit story. And I am, I, I don't, I don't want to say I'm stunned, John. And again, we're speaking with John Schindler. You don't see him on camera, but that's not because he's hiding his identity. It's just, he wasn't prepared <sighs> to be. I just, I want to make sure that everybody knows it's not like we're going to put a blue dot over John's face. That's, that's not what's going on here. Just, <laughs> just that the video wasn't ready on his end and we really wanted to get this interview done. So, um, but, um, but John, you know, I'm not stunned that the mainstream media is not reporting on this, including, I should say, the Democracy Dies in Darkness uh, Washington Post, because, and, and I mean, clearly the reason why they're not touching this story is because that program benefited them because they wanted the same things. They wanted to squeeze out people who were dissenting on climate change, people who were dissenting on uh, Joe Biden's policies in Afghanistan, people who were dissenting on uh, you know, on, on the on the vaccines. And look, I'm a, I, I, I've gotten my shots. I'm totally fine with the vaccines. I don't think that they were um, as billed, right? Uh, clearly, sure. because you can still transmit, you can still get and transmit the virus. I do think though they help you probably in keeping them from getting too serious a case of COVID-19. Um, but you can't even, you weren't even able to discuss that at times on social media. And if you raised any of these points um, with the media, they would immediately call them you know, conspiracy theories, you know, the whole uh, lab leak theory for COVID-19 was de was derided as a conspiracy theory until all of a sudden the World Health Organization said, you know, maybe we should really take another look right. at that idea. Well, the mainstream that, media is in on this, right? I mean, that's part of what the issue is here. The, 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 there are, the mainstream media as a general rule is in on the con on the conspiracy, if you want to use that word. I, I don't, but I mean, if you, it sort yeah, of is in a way. A conspiracy again implies organization, and there is an yeah. organization. What there is is a meeting of interests, and a lot of mainstream media journalists agree with the positions taken by the Biden administration. And there are a couple other. And so I mean, they're I, I, saying they're on the gravy train is, is too strong, but they're they're not going to rock the boat when they broadly agree. And there are two other factors. One of which is I think it's pretty clear that the younger generation of media folks, I mean, under forty-ish or so simply do not have the sense that was once common in the mainstream media that we're gonna go for the truth, even when it's difficult, even when I don't like that truth, we're gonna report it, that's long gone. Um, yeah. Second of all, and there's no nice way to say this, but you know, I talk to journalists too, being a journalist myself of a sort, uh, and you know, there are a lot of them who know this is bullshit, they're not stupid, but they're not gonna go out there and say anything because they'll catch hell on Twitter for it. They, they, their life will become unpleasant. What happened to that NBC reporter, Dasha Burns, who interviewed John Fetterman, the, the Democratic Senate candidate, and, you know, kind of came out and she just said what we all saw, which is that he's, you know, he's really not doing very well. Well, she got a whole bunch of BS on Twitter from her colleagues over that. None of them wanted to stand up and say, well, she kind of does have a point here, because there was a message. It was the wrong narrative. And I guarantee you right now, there are MSM reporters who feel not that much different than you or I do, Ed, about this specific DHS story, but they're not going to stick their necks out because it will not be pleasant. And they will no longer be invited to the cool kids' table for lunch. Uh, and, and that's, you know, peer pressure matters. It really does. So even the ones who get it, who are internally honest, they're not going to come out there and say it. I think that's a sad indictment of, of journalism in 2022 in America, but I think that's really where we are, frankly. Uh, well, I do too. 
And and yeah. I, and I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a conspiracy. I think there was a conspiracy with the uh, social media platforms that were participating in this. Yes, uh, because they were also getting financial incentives, or at least that was part of the proposal that um, is in the documents about financial incentives for cooperating with uh, DHS and FBI on this. Uh, but not 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 the journalistic media yeah. outlets. I, I think it's just a convergence of interests. And this is the problem with media is that the media's interests are at least, you know, I don't know, aspirationally, maybe, you know, uh, ideally, are just to report on the facts and get the information out to the to their news consumers. But those days are long gone if they ever existed at all, John. And <laughs> now long, long they're political activists, they're, they're political activist uh, platforms. And um I don't yeah. know how else to describe what's going on in, in, in this because this the ACLU I know. announced I know. that they were opposed to this, right? And I mean, the ACLU has not been exactly a redoubt on civil liberties no. over the last few years. And the ACLU- but Even this line, when it got crossed, the ACU comes out, you know, comes out of the woodwork and says, okay, this is a bit much, guys. Okay, I mean, this is, right. I mean, look- I'm gonna, reality, do the, I'm gonna do the Jonah Hill thing, right? From exactly, that exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean- where we're at is we've witnessed over the last couple decades, in my mind, the sort of triumph of ad, what I call advocacy journalism, right? Yep. This is a new problem. It's been around a long time. But advocacy journalism, which will shape facts to meet a narrative, has gone from being something that sometimes happened to pretty normative, frankly, in the mainstream media, and even something that's held up as an ideal. You get Pulitzers for this now. And yeah. again, I, I'm not going to say this is a new problem. It's not, but it has become much more commonplace and much harder to penetrate. Uh, and this, this really—I mean, you want to talk about democracy dying in darkness? I mean, I actually think you know, and I mean, one area where the the Intercept and I might disagree on details, but agree, you know, on the principle is you know, adversarial journalism is actually a really good thing and something we need. And right. do make the people uncomfortable. Do ask difficult questions. Don't only ask them of the other party, actually ask them. And, you know, we've lost something when a whole cadre, generation of journalists cadre has come up that doesn't think about doing that because it might hurt their side. And yep. it's, it's not healthy for our democracy. It's not healthy for the free press or free speech. It really isn't. All right, John Schindler, you can read his uh, opinion column at the Washington Examiner, and I strongly urge that you do so. John, where else can people find you? I mean, I know you're on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, at uh, twenty committee two zero committee. Uh, I also run a Substack uh, called Top Secret Umbra, Top Secret Umbra U M B R A, which uh, sounds very and is, but it is devoted mainly to issues uh, of intelligence, national security, uh, terrorism, stuff like that, fun stuff. And there you can you can subscribe for free, or you can pay me money and get even more. Please pay me money. That's good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I try and get out there. I mean, I, look, I've, uh, you know, I, I come at this from the perspective of, of a practitioner in the national security arena. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I, one of the big ironies here is, you know, I really push for a lot more transparency from the national security state, for, from the deep state, if you want to use that term, on a right. lot of this. And I, I mean, it's, it's almost kind of embarrassing, frankly, that it falls to the intercept. You know, not that they don't do good stuff sometimes, but why is the Intercept reporting on this DHS stuff and not the Washington Post, the New York Times? Where's I mean, they, they presumably could have gotten these documents too. I guess right. they're just not interested. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to call myself a whistleblower with a capital W, but when the intelligence community or our national security state is doing things that look 
Sure look to me like they're illegal and unconstitutional. I want that whistle blown and blown good and loud. And I'll do my part. There you go. John Schindler at 20 Committee on Twitter. And you can follow the links over there, presumably to his Substack, where you should subscribe. Go to the Washington Examiner and read his column as well. John, thanks for being with us this week. Thank you so much for this, Ed. Have a great day. All right. Stay tuned for just one more quick message from the Ed Morrissey Show. And you know what it's about, but you're going to stay tuned for it anyway. Coming up right after this. A new era at Hot Air has begun, and with the midterm elections just around the corner, our team is ready to fight for the conservative issues and bring you election analysis with new focus and purpose. This November, we face the choice of economic ruin with Joe Biden and his progressive Democrats, or a fresh start on the basis of American strength. But we need your help now more than ever to continue our conservative reporting and mission. By becoming a Hot Air VIP or VIP Gold member, you become an integral part of our team. Not only will you get exclusive access to reporting and commentary you can't get anywhere else, you will help us in our war against big tech and social media censorship. We cover the issues that truly matter, and with your help, the left can never silence us. You will also get access to my twice-weekly discussions with Adam Baldwin on The Amiable Skeptics, where we delve deeply into the philosophies and ideologies below the surface of today's current events. And you will support the vital work of Dwayne Patterson, who knows practically everyone in politics, Tampa's Tom Jackson, who gives hot air readers the inside scoop on Florida politics and more, and Jazz Shaw and our newest team member, David Strong, who offer even more in-depth analysis on the latest political developments. And for our VIP Gold members, Bearing Arms Cam Edwards and I offer direct engagement with members through our live chats, the most fun hour we have in the week. We are humbled by the support our readers have already shown us, and we hope to have all of you join us to keep this mission on track. Over the last couple of months, I've been honored to lead Hot Air as our new managing editor and look forward to all that is to come. On behalf of our team, I thank all of you for your support. Help us expose and put a stop to Joe Biden and the Democrats' radical agenda. Join Hot Air VIP today and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA to receive a major discount on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. Thank you very much.